the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer, San Diego. Uh, Welcome. It's Ed Martin. It's the Pro-America Report. For those of you that are tuning in on Periscope, thank you for tuning in. In a few moments, uh, one of our guests today will be at at Sub Schneider, and he's over on Twitter also. Uh, But we the Pro-America Report, we're so pleased to be with you. It's Ed Martin. I encourage all of you to visit edmartinlive.com. And in a moment, we'll talk about today's wink. And today's wink is uh, Pelosi, Pills, and pain where we are in America right now. And we'll talk about that in a second. But before we get to that, I do want to say a a couple of things about what's happening uh, right now. You'll notice that the New York Times and the other uh, left leaning uh, newspapers and news outlets are ramping up their uh, criticisms of uh, Donald Trump's news conferences. Now, we talked about this last week. And if you go to edmartinlive.com, you can see the segment. I've got it up there. Uh, you can go back and listen to it. But we talked about last week. I told you that the press conferences by the president were so effective at framing the debate and the issues that he was going to not only receive a bump in approval, which is happening, but he also was going to get attacked for it. And so about four days ago, you saw the media starting to say, hey, we, we have to fact check everything. And if he says something wrong, well, they've shifted now into don't cover the press conferences. Local affiliates in some places are, are uh, pulling off of the coverage. It doesn't matter. And let me say this. This president, one of the things he knows how to do things, it's a businessman's uh, model. One thing he knows how to do is to uh, test things out. So if you noticed what he was doing initially with the press conferences is he was doing them at noon, sometimes one. And now he's settled into five o'clock East Coast time, which means it runs in the early afternoon on the, on the West Coast, two o'clock. And it will then carry into all of the evening news, all of the cable shows. And it's just dominant. One more thing. Politico wrote a piece today, which is Politico is the best place to go, politico.com, to see what the left is thinking. They're, they're smarter than most of the left, but they're the left. And today they wrote a piece and they called uh, Donald Trump the anti-strongman. They want to call him a strongman. They want to call him an authoritarian strongman. Instead, they call him an authoritarian weak man. And the point here is that they thought they were going to get a dictator, and instead they get a guy who gets experts from all over government, all over the place, to come in and help him figure out how to do things. And that's now what they object to. And they're coming now. But back to my point here. This is very important to watch. You're going to see lots of pressure to try to stop the press conferences because they know it. Donald Trump is winning. And 10 days ago, we talked about the fact that in 1933, FDR took the radio broadcast, they, ca- they called it the Fireside Chats. And over the next seven years, actually, FDR did it over seven years, he used the Fireside Chat and he did it in, in one specific way. And if you look back at the historians, they'll talk about this. FDR would give a Fireside Chat. They would sometimes be as short as 20 minutes, radio broadcasts. And they would dominate the news for weeks because a radio broadcast in 1933, 34, 35, 36, it would become fodder for newspaper coverage and editorials and commentaries, and, and he would direct them in the way that he wanted them to go. 
Now, on a much faster scale, that's what Donald Trump is doing with his press conferences. So watch for those attacks. They're going to come. They're going to you're going to start to see pressure for uh, by the uh, uh, the left pressure by the left and by the media on each other to stop covering the entire uh, press conferences. The happy news is that people like One America News and Newsmax will never stop. Fox will probably get tricked into trying to do some sort of qualified coverage. But here's the beauty of it. Usually you'd have an opposition that would be worthy of the stage. Joe Biden can barely uh, put his computer together in, in Delaware to be on the pro on TV. Uh, so, you know, he's having trouble uh, getting things like a periscope and he can't even figure it out. So Trump has the field to himself. And that's probably what they they object to more than anything. All right. Uh, I mentioned in a minute, we'll talk with Mark Schneider. Uh, we'll also uh, talk tomorrow with one of the candidates, major candidate for U.S. Senate in Virginia against uh, Senator Mark Warner, which feels like a good time to pivot to today's wink. What you need to know, all you need to know, is, is, is these three things. These are what you need to know today. Pelosi, pills, and pain. First, Pelosi. Congress has failed us again. The thing that they passed last night, uh, 94, 96 to nothing in the Senate, that's bipartisan garbage. Um, you know, Pelosi's going to put it together, as I've told you over and over again, the only dictator in American political life at all is the Speaker of the House. She has total control over her house, and she will get whatever she wants. It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what Kevin McCarthy says. It just doesn't matter. That's not how the House works. The House is dominated by a Speaker, and she'll get what she wants, which means what we're getting out of the Senate and the House is just terrible. It's not good enough. It's not worthy of our uh, of our efforts. It's not attuned to what's happening. It'll probably be okay. It'll probably help marginally in different places. I hope it does. I hope it helps small business. I don't think it's a good um, payment system. You know, at the very beginning of this process, I thought smart people said, if you're going to give money to the American people, do it in a way that you don't divide us. And instead, they're doing it in a way where they're saying one group will get some money. If you make a little bit more money, you'll get some. I I met a friend of mine who's a part time, a small business owner, construction guy, a handyman kind of person. He said, I'll be left out because I'm a small business. I don't have the same structure. The point here is the House and Senate, the Congress failed us. Pelosi is the one who failed us. She had, she held the president and she held the Senate hostage and they all took the deal. I'm not saying there's not uh, um, room to blame Mitch McConnell and others for all the pork. There is. But the fact is that Pelosi is the one who had the ability and took it. She took the opportunity to drive the wedge home and get what she wanted. And here's the thing. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised that even in a national crisis, a national emergency, when what we needed was fast, focused action, instead we got trillions of spending. And we will only find out in the coming months and years how bad it was. And I'll just tell you this. No one who's serving in Congress who voted for this, which is everybody, will ever be president. They will never have a future national career. They will begin to have to answer questions for how could you support this? Because the answer will be worrying about hundreds of millions of dollars for museums and the Kennedy Center and other boondoggles will become a weight no matter how well we do. And I hope we will. Now, second thing is pills. Look, President Trump said to, uh, 10 days ago, a week ago, that there was some hope with this hydrochlorazine uh, and erythromycin, the Z-Pak plus uh, the chloroquine. We're now seeing report after report. Here's what I want to tell you. The pills the president talked about and what we've seen since then, since then will become last week, will become a great example 
of how this crisis has helped us renew the country. What do I mean? Well, we started out by hearing from bureaucrats that we had to wait for FDA approval and studies. We're watching people die, choking on their own uh, lung fluid and, and dying from this situation. This is really brutal stuff. And someone says, well, we just need a randomized test. Who's going to be the random on the other side of almost dying? Right. Who's going to take the the uh, the placebo on the opposite side of this? The fact is what we're seeing is real life battlefield example of right to try. And everybody that talks about the chloroquine in general, any of these medicines, is that they're not deadly now. They will have some side effects, including like nausea and others, very mild. Or in the long term, if you took it for a year, two years, you might have some more serious symptoms. Nobody thinks it would be bad now. And these pills can save lives. And so if you're in New York, Louisiana, if you're in uh, Detroit, if you're in the hot spots where you're being overwhelmed, the idea of having hope and having pills that could help, you're going to do something about it. You're going to move and you're going to do something about it. That's what, so when you say, what you need to know today is Pelosi failed us, the pills are helping us. And the last thing is this, and this is just an encouragement. We're going to all start to know people that are very sick that are, and some are going to die. It's going to be terrible and sad. We're not through this. Not at all. The people that say, oh, we're, you know, we're somehow, we're not through this at all. This is the next two weeks is going to be terrible and there's going to be a lot of pain, but there's pain in all emergencies like this. There's pain in all these kinds of situations and we can do this. So what we've seen is extraordinary leadership from the president and extraordinary leadership from governors. I'm, I hate to say it because I never really liked him, but Andrew Cuomo has been impressive. Um, you know, I think he has been. Gavin Newsom, been mildly impressive. I mean, it's hard to get too excited because he's done so many terrible things. But the fact is we're seeing leadership in our communities, in our homes, in what we're doing. And we got to buckle down because just because Pelosi failed us, just because pills are giving us a chance, it doesn't mean that we're not going to have some pain. And what you do with that is what's going to change the future. I just saw Mark Cuban. He's been stepping up. That guy's been Mark Cuban has been stepping up to talk about ways to look at things. I mean, again, I'm not a fan of his politics, but what he's saying is, look, there's going to be opportunities as you get through this to look for brighter futures, to look for things that are at the end of light at the end of the tunnel. I've heard the president use that term quite a bit. So what you need to know is Pelosi failed us. So did all of Congress. So did both parties. I mean, a pox on all these people in Congress for not being able to understand what time it is, what moment it is, what the season is. I, I, I'm disgusted with them all. On the other hand, the boondoggle that they passed, I hope it does some work. I hope it stabilizes some businesses. I hope it keeps some people with some more opportunity. I hope it does all that. I think it will do some of it. And I think the president knows it'll do something. He's got to take what he can get. But Pelosi and the Congress failed us. The pills and the possibilities of ingenuity are, are really working. We're seeing success. And the last thing is we're going to see some pain. And people keep texting me, emailing through the Periscope or through a direct message, which is wide open. Feel free. And they tell me, I've got this person who's sick, this person who's suffering. There's going to be a lot of that. We got to worry about that. So uh, hang in there. Keep your uh, keep uh, uh, keep praying hard. Keep reaching out for each other and keep doing the things that make good sense. So we're going to take a break off the radio show. We'll be back in a moment. We'll talk with uh, Mark Schneider at Sub Schneider here on the program. And uh, for those of you on Periscope, we'll talk in a moment. But we're listening, you're listening to the Pro America Report here on the Answer San Diego. Be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro America Report on the Answer San Diego. 
Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you, nobody's been more pro-America, in my opinion, in the last about year and a half than Mark Schneider, at SubSchneider on Twitter. He kind of exploded out of nowhere and became sort of a nationally, I don't know, internationally renowned expert on what he knows best, what his career's been in, which is nuclear power and nuclear energy and how it works. And I got to say, notwithstanding we're in the middle of this uh, plague uh, before this, uh, he was one of the guys that was breaking through, and I assume after it will be true because I think we'll come through this and then the people will be looking for how do we you know, build out our future. So welcome back to the program, Mark Schneider. How are you, bud? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for having me on. Now, I know you got a pack of kids, too. I think you got at least one more than me, maybe more. So you must be, uh, your wife uh, must, and you must be uh, managing the uh, quarantine and all. Now, are you still going to work, though? Um, yeah, so, uh, so my day job is still going to work. And uh, before my wife is able to work from home and I've got older kids that help uh, take care of younger kids, and uh, we're making it work through this, uh, this whole experience. So it's been, uh, it's been a challenge, but we're making it work. Yeah, I think like everybody. All right, so we, I wanted to talk to you and get you on the on the uh, show, even though um, you know there's a lot of other things going on. Because I wanted an update, and, and you know, in the midst of this boondoggle stimulus that's being passed, lots of money being spent. There was rumors that they were going to address the Green New Deal uh, through this thing that Pelosi was doing. That what's the state of play on nuclear energy? I mean, are you just everybody sort of holding because everything else is going on? Is there things going on? Give me give me your feedback on where we are. Well, so there's there's kind of the uh, you know how the nuclear uh, energy organization industry is is responding to to coronavirus. We're just taking you know kind of the front step, you know, of how are the plant workers, you know, how are the plant managing their workers, and they're doing a lot of great things as far as the social distancing, providing extra cleaning, uh, you know, adjustments to shifts, working with the NRC to make it all happen. So that's the the good news. Uh, that the industry is able to respond appropriately with the coronavirus. Um, and then the other thing is, is that there are some things that are kind of sneaking in under the radar uh, through this whole thing, is that we've got um, you know, China right now. It kind of blows my mind that China is doing some major work on a Gen 4 reactor that's being built out there. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of these Gen 4 companies that they're able to continue pushing forward with their their designs because they're not really in the building phase. So they're able to continue pushing, you know, from remote work. So they're not shutting down everything, you know, they're able to continue pushing and we're seeing a lot of drivers uh, with that. But as far as, you know, the, the big push, it's kind of all under the radar uh, because coronavirus has just taken over everything. We're talking with Mark Schneider, and uh, Mark is at SubSchneider on Twitter and has been a voice there. He's got his own periscopes that are really good teaching. Also, if you go to, excuse me, gen4nuclear.com, that's G-E-N, as in generation, G-E-N, the Roman numeral four, which is a capital I and a capital V, gen4nuclear.com, and, and find more, or Mark Schneider. Uh, Mark, what's the state of, uh, what's the state of, of in, a, in this period of sort of quarantine slash uh, shutdown slash all this of energy? And, and you know, what's happening at... Uh, at all the different power companies. I mean, we started mentioning earlier about, about people. How you know? It's a, you can't you can't take the time off. We still need electricity, right? We still need you know the basics. So, what's going on in that in the industry? Yeah. So, uh, so I mean, obviously, uh, electricity is, is a critical supply. Um, one of the things we're finding is, is an overall you know an overall reduction. We're not talking a large reduction, but it's a significant reduction in that electricity usage because a lot of big industries are not using as much energy because they're kind of shut down. But, you know, obviously electricity is, uh, you know, a critical 
Um, and the you know the, the fact are the fact is, is that you know plants are taking steps. Um, you know where they're monitoring workers when they come in. They're taking their temperature. If you got a 100.4 degree fever, you're not allowed on the site, right? And then you got to uh, you know they're to turn people away. If you carpool with someone, they're turning the whole car away. This is very you wow. know, very important. They you know they've got the the main control rooms are essentially isolated. You don't go in there unless you know absolutely an emergent emergent thing. Normally you know they do a pre shift brief. The whole shift comes in there. Only the operators that are that are required to be in there are in the main control room. Everyone else is telecom. They're doing a teleconference for their shiftly brief. So they're they're doing a lot of, of uh, social distancing inside the plant, uh, inside the, all the plants, to make sure that they're doing all that. You know, with if you have to go to the control room, you have to wash your hands beforehand. You know, I mean, lots of extra things. That the operators in the control room have their own. You know, companies provided, you know, hand sanitizer that they use uh, like regular intervals, right? We'll talk at very extreme measures that the plants are taking to make sure that they're keeping the workers safe and are keeping the electricity online. It's going to be a big challenge uh, coming up here because in the spring, one-third of all power plant, nuclear power plants in the United States have to shut down to refuel. That's just the way the fuel cycle works. And you got to bring in a bunch of extra workers. They're doing reduced scoping on this stuff to make sure that it's minimizing the number of people, um, but then it is to bring the plants down and bring them back up quickly and, uh, you know, manage all that as well. Uh, we're talking with Mark Schneider. Now, Mark, you're, you're an observer now, especially, I mean, you, you're a scientist uh, too and, a, you know, a businessman and all, but you're an observer of the political scene. You sort of, uh, I don't know, dipped your toe in about 18 months ago and now you're in up to your, at least up to your, uh, up to your <laughs> neck, I guess. But so you've observed this. What's your feeling on this whole thing? What, uh, uh, what's your feeling on what's happening and how, how people are handling it and what the sort of, um, what the future is? A lot of people, you know, are saying, oh, it's going to take longer. It's going to take shorter. It has to stop. How do you feel about everything? Um, you know, my, my take on it is, you know, I, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of the actions for social distancing, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not a, an extremist um, in a lot of ways, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying it's not a problem. You know, I'm more of a middle of the road, but being a little more cautious than I normally am. Um, you know, and, and I'm going to kind of flip it a little bit on you here and go, you know, we're dealing yeah. with a virus, and viruses are invisible, and we're learning that as humanity, we can fight and win against viruses. Well, if you look at my, at the, the nuclear uh, community, we have been fighting with trying to explain to the public that we can deal with something invisible called radiation. And I think that this right. is a breakthrough for the nuclear industry. And then I can take something that's invisible like radiation. I can now educate the public because the public's getting a crash course in, uh, in education on something invisible called viruses that they can't see. So now I think that we can you know, maybe start to explain how a lot of this stuff is and how it's completely different than a virus that we can manage and we can understand how it works. Well, it's interesting, but here's the question I have is that this is maybe what you're, this is maybe the thing you, this is great that you said this. I, I was saying last night um, on another pro, uh, radio program that a lot of people lack the imagination, in my opinion, to know what could be either good or bad, right? So they are, and they're trapped in their own sort of limits of their imagination. And I would say one of the problems with nuclear energy that you have to, that you have had to fight through is people are trapped in the, in the image of of uh of three mile island of you know uh chernobyl and the media likes to churn that up and in the case of the virus people are saying well they're looking around they're saying 
It doesn't look so bad. I don't see anybody dropping dead on my block. Therefore, why are we um, you know, about to go out of business? Why are we about to get laid off? Why are we about to go broke? Why are we about to have you know, April 1st uh, rent payments and not be able to make them? All these kinds of things. So the, I, I guess the question is, maybe you're right, um, but I, I'm not sure we've seen the people catch on to what could be. I mean, people are dying in New York City right now because of this disease. And I think people are saying, well, it's not as many as the as the common uh, the flu right now. I mean, I, I you know, the sometimes people's imagination is limited to what they've seen in the past. And that's how they relate to it. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I think one of the things is that, you know, one of the and what I'm hopeful for is that they're seeing perhaps that blown out perspective of the fear of the virus and seeing the extreme measures we're taking for this and going, wait a minute, we have, you know, 100 reactors operating in, in the United States. Has the media blown the fear of radiation out to the point where I shouldn't fear it? Because obviously they have been wrong so much that we can maintain right. transform the way people are thinking. That's where I'm coming from this is that, you know, we're seeing, you know, the media go way extreme in a lot of cases and even lying if you look at rachel maddow on msnbc she's flat out lying about things to the american public and people are catching on to that and maybe turn around and say well you know you know someone who's as smart as her is willing to lie to the american public well what are they lying about when it comes to nuclear energy yeah yeah that's a good one no i think that's right well mark schneider thank you as always for keeping us up to date at sub schneider on twitter and uh, gen for nuclear.com i'll put them all up in social media keep us in the loop mark when you hear something that you need to let us know uh give me a shout we'd love to have you on we always appreciate it and we'll be watching uh and uh, make sure you wash your hands after the show i will do thanks <laughs> all right mark thanks mark schneider everybody we'll take a quick break and be right back it's ed martin right here on the pro america report be right back Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report, and there's uh, so much happening across the country. And one of the areas that I have heard more people talking about uh, a lot and I've heard it on conference calls I've been on. I've heard it on some of what we're doing is a question of education, uh, partly because a lot of kids are going home and their parents are assisting in their education. And partly because I think, uh, um, you know, there's just a, a lot. The, the issue tends to ebb and flow. Our next guest is President Michael Petrilli, the president of the Thomas Fordham, uh, Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Uh, he's also the editor of Education Next and a research fellow at the Hoover Institution. Busy guy. And uh, he's also a proud father. So he'll tell us about his kids. But welcome to the program, President Petrelli. How are you, sir? Hey, great to be with you, Ed. So, uh, first of all, are your kids uh, young enough that they're invade, they're reinvading your home and you're having to deal with your kids being home? <laughs> they are indeed. I've got two boys, 10 and 12, and I hear them upstairs doing mommy school as we speak. Uh, there you I, go. They it's, say the Pledge it, of Allegiance <laughs> every morning. It's a beautiful thing. But, uh, yes, yeah. what, a, what an amazing experience. Uh, you know, look, I, I have to say some... In many ways, it's, it's, it's a really nice uh, silver lining to this terrible crisis we're in. 
I think that's right. Although I think it's also fun because as I, I mentioned on another call I was on earlier, one of the women on the call said, I, I tell you, at the end of this, I'm, I've got a newfound appreciation for teachers, you know, because as oh, like yes. you say, there's a lot of balls about it. I want to make sure I, I want to make sure your, your new book is out. It's called How to Educate an American, the Conservative Vision for Tomorrow's Schools, uh, co-authored with uh, Chester Finn, which is a big deal. He's uh, also really uh, a famous guy. Before we get to that book, though, I wanted to ask you, and I'm going to mess it up now because my mind is shot. Um, the mm-hmm. NEA in the 1940s and 50s used to publish like a primer on what a student should, an American should know. It's like the Citizen's Handbook. Is that the name? Do you know? Oh, interesting. That doesn't ring a bell, but I, that, that okay. does not surprise me. That was in its pre-union days, of course. Exactly. It was kind of before they went crazy. And so what I wanted to ask you was your book, How to Educate an American, is it is it the kind of book that you would say um, teachers need or parents need or who? How did you when you write a book like this, how did you think who your audience was? Yeah, you know, I, that's a good question. Ed. Look, I, I certainly think parents and teachers would enjoy many of the essays. I think more than anyone, I would say this is for local school board members. You know, these are the people huh. in our education system that still make uh, the key decisions, even though, of course, a lot of. Uh, power has has gone upwards towards the state and the federal level when it comes to the issues in this book. How to how to teach American history? How to teach character? You know how discipline is handled. These are still decided in our system for the most part by local school board members. And one big argument in the book is that conservatives need to stand up and, and pay attention to what's happening in our own communities. And if we don't like what we see. Do something about it by showing up at the school board meeting, running for school board, taking action. We, we don't want to cede the public schools to the left in the same way that we've ceded the universities to the left. We're talking with uh, Michael J. Petrelli, and the book is, uh, again, to, to make sure to it's available everywhere. I was searching earlier. It's on all the websites. I have a copy myself, How to Educate uh, an American, and it's a series of essays on the, and the, cons- the subtitles, Conservative Vision for Tomorrow's Schools. Um, we had on a, a guest uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Michael, who, who basically said he had tried for years to um, – figure out how to fix the public schools and he threw in the towel it was kind of an interesting interview he said i just can't believe i can do it and therefore i I, i'm just i'm not trying to do it anymore how how do you feel about that i i I just know so many people that have uh believe in where they are it's hard to Mm -hmm. feed it's hard for me i mean my kids are in private school so i i shouldn't as to public schools i I can't i don't have as good a experience but how do you feel about that kind of instinct that people have Look, you know, I, I'm an education reform guy. You know, I spend most of my days trying to work on exactly these issues, and I have experienced that frustration for sure. I think that especially in the big cities where we have these big dysfunctional school systems and have for for decades, generations, I, I think there's a lot of truth to it, that, that some of these systems are beyond hope. And so I'm encouraged that you see the rise of the charter school movement, especially, you know, Washington, D.C., near where I live, you know, 50 percent of the kids are in charter schools. In New Orleans, 100 percent. I think we need more of that. Uh, and I think that uh, I think in the cities, especially, there's some potential for that to continue to happen. But, you know, out in the suburbs and small towns, rural areas, I think uh, the traditional public school system is, is here to stay. Uh, and so we got to figure out how to make it work as much as possible. And, and the folks in this book, you know, all conservative writers, luminaries, are saying, you know, look, let, let's pay attention to how to make these schools work. And not just around the basics, reading, writing, uh, math, you know, getting kids ready for college and career, but this other stuff around American identity, around character, around discipline, uh, that those issues haven't been discussed as much recently in reform circles, and they need to be a much bigger focus for us. 
We're talking with uh, Michael Petrilli, and he's the president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. You go to FordhamInstitute.org and see they've got a lot of uh, resources there. He's also a, a research fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution. And uh, his new book uh, just out is with um, Chester Finn. is called How to Educate in America and the Conservative Vision for Tomorrow's Schools. Um, it, that, that, the, the, the tension I have, and I'm like you, I've, I worked in uh, school choice stuff in Missouri, where I was from, and pushed and pulled, and sometimes found that the Republican uh, you know, superintendent of schools in rural areas was more trouble than the than the Democrats in the city, right? I mean, it's a funny moment, mm-hmm. funny uh, bedfellows. But but it, but it is. It, we are at a point where so many Americans have their kids in in public schools. You got to be careful how you tell them what a mess it is, right? Because they they feel like they're doing the best they can, and they're seeing you know hard work and effort. But mm-hmm. I guess the one thing I will say uh, that I worry most about is that the 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 intrusion of Common Core. It hasn't really died, right? And the guy that did the Common Common Core sets the SAT now, which means how you test me is going to tell me a lot about what I should study. I mean, what's your feeling on that, that whole Common Core? You know, Phyllis, Phyllis Schlafly, for whom I work, she, and, and Donald Trump ran for president saying, we'll get rid of Common Core, we'll get rid of Common Core. We haven't really gotten to get rid of Common Core. I mean, what's your feeling on, the, on that problem of sort of managing education in a direction yeah. that's different than what we should want? Well, look, I'm going to surprise you on this one, Ed. I actually am a big supporter of Common Core. I'm one of the rare conservatives who was out there uh, for years uh, trying to explain to other conservatives that this was not worth fighting because these Common Core standards are actually much more rigorous than what most states had in place before. Certainly that was the case in Missouri, and I remember spending some time in Jefferson City trying to make that case. I understand the backlash. Right. I mean, there, there, there were some parts of it that were uh, that were not written well, and, and in the early days especially, you saw some really crazy things happening, especially around math as uh, some of the folks were trying to figure out how to implement it. But look, uh, that's still just on the basic reading, writing, math. Uh, And and what the book here is talking about uh, is sort of everything else. And the everything else is is where we've really been falling down. It's, you know, history. It's where uh, you go into an elementary school today, and so few of those schools are actually teaching George Washington and Abraham Lincoln or even Harriet Tubman. They're not teaching any history. Or if you go to, into our high schools and you say, how are they teaching history? They're using the Howard Zinn textbook, a people's history of the United States, where yeah, right. it's explicitly about let's talk about America's oppression and racism and nothing else. This is a problem that we don't focus on enough and that we need to start focusing on if, if we care about how young people are being taught about America and what it means to be an American. All right, so let me let me then let me have this discussion with you because uh, I, I uh, my my listeners will be all over me if I don't. But um, how do you control? I agree with I agree with you when you look closely at any. You have to have standards, right? You have to have some standards, and there was lots of weakness in managing uh, any standards. So I'm kind of with you on yeah. that. But how, when you look at who's managing Common Core, it doesn't feel like it's conservatives, and so the system is set up that maybe it's not terrible today. Just like the public school mm-hmm. system when it started out wasn't terrible that day but it became sort of uh, bureaucratized isn't that mm-hmm. isn't that a, isn't that a likely endpoint for a, for a system like this well no because uh, look <laughs> the, the, the common core standards <laughs> were developed they, they were developed by the states okay 
uh, the states basically got together and said, all right, we've been doing standards on our own now for like 15 years. On the whole, we've not come out with very good sets of standards, and so let's see if we do it together, if they're any better. And after a bunch of revisions, they came out, and they were pretty good. Uh, we, we thought they were pretty good. Uh, now, the big problem was around that time, this was the last time we had this huge, uh, great recession, uh, President Obama decided to create an incentive for states to adopt those standards to get extra federal money, and that got the federal government involved. And that was a huge mistake uh, and, uh, and should never have happened. But that's you know, starting to feel like ancient history at this point. So now states still control their standards. They have every right to update them, and, and many have. In Florida, for example, Governor DeSantis you know, promised to get rid of Common Core, and he's going through and, and revising those standards. But you know, the problem is that the new standards they came out with are actually, we think, not very good. Uh, and it's, it's nothing because of Governor DeSantis is that when you get a group of educators together to write these things and they write them by committee, guess what? It doesn't always go well. So, you know, we're just trying to judge the quality of, of what they're asking people to do. But look, and, and by all means, states have every right to do this. We just want to make sure that the bar remains high and, and that we're not uh, over time going back to a system where, you know, we're giving every kid a gold star, which is what we had before. Yep. Well, I think that's right. Well, good. Well, we'll have to have you on another time. I wanted to make sure we'll have, another, have you on to talk about Common Core a little bit more in depth. But the book, How to Educate in America and the Conservative Vision for Tomorrow's School, and especially you go in there and look at these essays. It's, a, as you said, it's a who's who of conservative writers and thinkers. And, uh, and as I mentioned, Chester Finn is your co-author. And, and so he's extraordinary. So thank you, uh, Michael Petrelli. Thanks very much. And we'll put it all up on social media and we'll uh, talk again soon. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. All right, we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and great to be with you. And uh, well, let's wrap things up a little bit. We had some interviews there, went a little bit longer, so I got a little less time at the end. But first, let me tell you, encourage you, go to edmartinlive.com and get signed up for my daily email. Uh, and also, you may be seeing, I hope you're following it, that the first segment of every show, we're doing live on Periscope. So you can tune in there, go to at Eagle Ed Martin. You can see what you hear if you want to. And you can always go track me down after the program and uh, find it there. Or go to theanswersandiego.com and see our podcast and all the rest. So uh, I hope you'll do all of that. Now, I alluded to this earlier in the show. I didn't um, have it in front of me to bring it up, uh, but I, I want to mention this now. Um, I, I'm looking at the uh, a, a piece that describes how popular Trump's briefings are in the White House. Now, it's daily briefings, even on Saturday and Sunday, most weekends. Um, obviously, there's a lot going on. There's people at, a lot of people are home. A lot of people are, you know, not out on the town, obviously. They're not going to work. They're not going uh, sightseeing. And so the, um, the, uh, uh, the, 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 you could say, well, is it a captive audience that means that makes it so Trump is getting all these ratings? Maybe. Maybe at this point, the New York Times article I think I was looking at last week, excuse me, last night, has that the ratings are higher than uh, the Monday Night Football. Uh, it's higher than, I guess, one of the things uh, that they referred to was the Bachelor season finale. I can't remember when I watched the Bachelor or the, certainly the season finale of it, but it, it's, it's numbers like that. But here's the thing. Here's why you're seeing the presence numbers go up, even as the challenge gets harder. 
it's because he's got in front with him up in that stage a whole bunch of really smart people and so now the new york times is covering it and saying wow look at this this president is succeeding people are really listening they're paying attention isn't this amazing and now as i mentioned earlier in the program you're going to see people tell you that you have to just maybe stop covering it that it's too much for people and the other thing i again i point out again if you're in the world of uh, sort of politics, especially in election year, even in a crisis, there is going to be opposition leaders who uh, step up to the microphone and are listened to. Or there's going to be, let me say it differently, people and leaders in the opposition party who are going to play a role. Right now, you'd say the leading Democrats are Pelosi, um, not really Schumer, I'd say Pelosi, Cuomo, maybe Gavin Newsom, AOC, not Joe Biden. Joe Biden has taken to looking like he's doing hostage videos from his his uh, uh, library in his home in Delaware. He's got his open neck shirt. He doesn't have a tie on. He think I guess he thinks that looks good. And uh, earlier today, there was a lot of uh, traffic on Twitter. He was referring to himself as a University of Pennsylvania professor. Now, I, there's a certain uh, uh, I, I understand a certain mindset, especially of the age being Biden's age, where you try to call yourself a professor. Nobody. He was vice president of the United States. That ought to be good enough for him. He ought to not be trying to because he's not a professor at uh, UPenn. He, he's he's fundraised a gazillion dollars or more likely they've fundraised a gazillion dollars off of him. And, and now he has his name on a building or he's given an honorary title. Not a professor. I mean, it really is silly. But back to Trump. His and they've started to do these um, press conferences each day at 5 p.m. East Coast time. Uh, he, he, he was, I think, trial testing, uh, you know, A.B. testing, doing it at noon East Coast time, doing it one uh, waiting. He was letting Cuomo do his press conferences in New York during the uh, 11 a.m. East Coast time. And then Trump would go right after. And you could see that if you watched him, he's doing it at five o'clock. And again, just to say what I referred to earlier. In 1933, when FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, began using the fireside chat, he, he would do thir- between 15 and 25 minute radio addresses to the people, directly to the people on radio. And what happened was his addresses, he would do one on uh, in early March, I think it was, of 33. The next one was in June. But because of the speed of the medium back then, it was slow, right? So the radio broadcast would dominate the conversation for weeks, really months. And so he became, it became so effective. There's books written on this, uh, on, on how effective it was at giving FDR direct access to the American people. And, and what, what the term that we know now, or we use now, having the, managing the cycle managing the media cycle then the media cycle was much longer you know you, you, fdr could get a a, a radio a radio a fireside chat and it would be an editorial in the sunday paper it might be in the uh in the weekly newspapers time magazine newsweek excerpts would be run it would be run again on the radio people would listen they would they would know to listen to a, a rerun of it the the, uh, the um cycle the media cycle was long now the media cycles 24 hours a day and Trump just dominates it. He dominates it by doing these press conferences, and then it dominates the evening news, the cable news in the evening, the morning news the next day, and you're into the middle of the day, and he's still dominating. It's an extraordinary thing, and he clearly is good at it. 
Again, you don't have to like his policies to concede, to admit that he's good at it. And so I think you're going to see him continue to do it, and you're going to see his continuing his numbers to continue to go up. And I can't imagine right now, I'm surprised to say, that he comes out of this uh, crisis with anything other than more respect from people. Now, we've still got a lot of long ways to go, a lot of, of uh, trouble on the horizon. Let me point you to a resource uh, called, that uh, Johns Hopkins has it's a little bit dramatic, so be a little bit careful when I tell you to go there because it, it can really spook you a little bit, but it's uh, called coronavirus.jhu.edu, and if you go there, you can click on the map. So it's a, it's a dashboard of a map that shows all the cases all across the country. It's the best site I've seen to look at what's happening in America. You can click on the USA. There's almost 80,000 confirmed uh, incidents of coronavirus infections, and then you can break out by state. And you can see New York's got almost 38,000 of them. New Jersey's got a bunch. California's got some. You can see the breakout. Um, these next few days, and we'll be back tomorrow, of course, the, uh, in the program, and we're, we're winding up here. We will be wanting to follow this. You're going to want to follow this and watch closely New York. Because as we can win in New York with the pills, the hydrochloroquine and other things, and manage the severity, we can get through this. We will get through it. It's going to be hard. It's going to be sad. And there's going to be pain, as I alluded to earlier. Uh, so we'll look at it together. And I'll post up on social media again that uh, website, which is uh, coronavirus.jhu. That's Johns Hopkins University edu uh, forward slash map. So, all right, we'll take a we'll take now take a break. We'll be back tomorrow night. I want to say thank you to Noah, our technical director, for keeping us on track with all these uh, pieces and moving parts. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll talk with Hans von Spakovsky tomorrow, uh, as well as a candidate for U.S. Senate from Virginia. Uh, from the great Commonwealth of Virginia. We'll talk with uh, Colonel Daniel uh, Daniel Gade. Uh, all of that tomorrow. And uh, thank you also to Joanna for helping us book. And thank you for listening. Uh, go to The Answer San Diego to follow. And we'll be back tomorrow night. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. Shh.